0: I'm Pam Rogers, an attorney and a staunch Republican.
1: I'm Mara Dolan, an attorney and a lifelong Democrat. And this is Going to Spare It, Politics and Crime with Pam and Mara. We may disagree on many subjects and topics discussed on this show, but our mutual respect for each other, our common experiences and the work that we do keeps us together. You may think you know the whole story, but you need to hear our rapid fire opinions from
0: both sides. We aren't afraid to go there. We're going to spare it. Hey, everyone. Welcome
1: back to the Going to Spare It with Pam and Mara podcast. I am one of your hosts, Pam Rogers. And I'm the other host, Mara Dolan. I'm the Democrat and she's the Republican. You got that straight, sister. I am the <laughs> This is going to be a really interesting show. Um, we've got Yes, we have longtime Globe columnist and first-time novelist Scott Lehigh joining us. But before we get to that, just want to remind folks you can subscribe to Go and at Politics and Crime with Pam and Mara on all your podcast platforms. You've obviously found us, but help others to find us by subscribing and giving us a five-star review. You can also follow us on social media, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Go And you can email us, let us know what you think at Pamandmara at gmail.com. So, Pam, obviously, the biggest political and criminal story this week is the trump indictment we're going to talk about that a lot with scott lehigh but there's another really interesting case where you've got some some expertise can you tell us about this new case that's happening in boston with matthew nilo and the yeah. latest yeah really interesting really
0: interesting story i think he was arraigned a week or two ago a gentleman named matthew nilo who grew up in boston's north end um is currently a practicing attorney in the state of new jersey he's about thirty years old i believe Um, has been uh, charged with several counts of rape that date back to 2007 and 2008. They were unsolved rapes. They went unsolved for obviously many years until Boston police um, received a grant um, for their cold case unit. And through the use of genetic genealogy, they were able to basically come up with a suspect, and his name is Matthew Nilo, and he has been arraigned. Uh, His bail was set at $500,000. I believe he is going to post it if he hasn't posted it already. But genetic genealogy,
1: which we hear so much about, is a massive part of this case. No, it's incredible. They apparently got his DNA from a water glass uh, that he used when he was at a conference. And Pam, I know you study forensic genealogy. And tell us quickly what that is and how that works. Yeah, I mean
0: I, I do study it because I try to stay up to date on a lot of the um like the new cutting edge stuff that happens in criminal defense and criminal law. So forensic investigative genealogy, genetic genealogy, is like the use of forensic science because you have a DNA sample, number one. Then you couple that with genetic genealogy, meaning you upload that DNA sample to some form of a database. And then, and we'll talk a little bit more about that, but then you use traditional genealogy to build out a tree so that you can basically come up with a few suspects. And the genetic genealogist then presents these few suspects to the police for them to then follow up on. You know, a genetic genealogist doesn't go through all of this work and then say, this is it. He's the guy, 100%, this is him. All it really does is come up with a suspect or more than one suspect, probably within the same family that they pass along to the police. But the really interesting thing is, number one, and you know this, um, anytime police get a DNA sample, it is uploaded to the FBI's CODIS database which, database, which is the Combined DNA Index System, CODIS. That is a law enforcement system only. So in this particular case, they had uploaded the DNA sample, and it didn't match anyone. Meaning Matthew Nilo had never been convicted of a felony before, or maybe had never been arrested. So in Massachusetts, you have to give a DNA sample if you have been convicted of a felony. But in other states in America, even if you're charged with a crime, they'll take a DNA sample from you and it's uploaded. We obviously do not have that in Massachusetts. Um, but the Boston police uploaded that sample into CODIS and they did not come up with a match. So with this new grant and obviously fifteen, sixteen years later and the develop of development of this new science, um, they have basically found a suspect. So essentially, I know most people when I talk to Hang on, folks.
1: Your your zoom your zoom froze for a sec, Pam. You were saying essentially. Um, essentially,
0: people people will come to me and say, you know, I put my, my DNA in Ancestry, and then they worry, you know, are, is law enforcement going to be able to see my DNA sample? Law enforcement in America is not allowed to look at Ancestry DNA or 23andMe. So, law enforcement is only allowed to use uh, Family Tree DNA, which is not that popular in the United States, as well as GED Match, which is GED Match, where people can upload their raw. Uh DNA data and users of family tree as well as um uh, match have to opt in to allow law enforcement to look at their sample so again, who knows how long it took the genetic genealogist to come up with this person um or persons I
1: don't know it could be ten hours it could be a thousand hours. you never quite wow. know wow. what it is That's- so. That's amazing. I know they had that the Boston police had a $2.5 million grant to investigate cold cases. And in this particular case, there were four, their allegations of four rapes, they helped, they all had the same pattern. So I'm guessing that the investigators thought it may be the same perpetrator. And that made that worthwhile. And of course, he's innocent until proven guilty as all defendants are. But you can't help but think about what this must mean to the victims. I know some of them have spoken to the Boston Globe about how they feel about the fact that this guy was caught. I mean, he he had just disappeared. So to give I, them that closure.
0: I haven't read anything about this, but I would suspect that uh, police departments in any area where this gentleman has lived since 2007, 2008, are taking a look at some of their old rape cases that have gone unsolved. It would not surprise me. They must
1: be. They must be. So we we will be following this case. This is a really, really interesting case. But uh, we've got Scott Lehigh now. So let's let's bring him on in. Folks, we are being joined by Scott Lehigh. He's a columnist for the Globe Opinion section. He has held several editorial positions there and served on their political reporting staff. He has also just published his first novel. It's called Just East of Nowhere, and we're really glad that you're joining us today, Scott. There well, thank you
2: I, I think I think I've appeared here, haven't I?
1: You're here. You're here, and I see some lovely paintings in the background. Who might that artist be?
2: That oh, look at this. This is my wife, Marsha Crumley. It's beautiful, and her work is findable um, on Instagram and Facebook. It's her last name is. C R U M L E Y Crumley, art of Marsha Crumley. She's a a um uh what does she call it a a a expressionist landscape. In other words, kind of interpreted landscape painter. Yeah,
1: very nice. I've I've seen a number of her pieces on your social media, Scott. And I always I always much more
2: successful than I am. She took me on a on a nice cruise up the Rhine River based on her artistic earnings in the in the earlier in the spring. Yeah
1: well you're you're not doing too badly yourself, Scott, but I have I know I'm you. not
2: doing that well. She makes more than a couple paintings, and I'll probably earn from just just
1: east of nowhere, nowhere. You're nowhere. Now- we- a- we're going to get to that, but I just yeah, yeah. have to tell you before we begin, you know I'm a Democrat, you know Pam Rogers, my wonderful talented yes? yep. incredibly articulate and brilliantly smart um co-host. she doesn't read the glow. She's well, a little skeptical when yeah. I said, "Oh, let's get Globe columnist Scott Lehigh on." So why don't you guys hash that out?
2: Oh my word! Well, Pam, you know you're not the only one I know who says that. I I don't read the Globe. Um, but I would say two things. Uh, well, tell us, tell me why you don't read the Globe. Like rather than just me talk, you tell me why, and I'll address your issues.
0: Okay. So number one, yeah, we can have you on. Thank you so much for coming on. Yeah. <laughs> I, I am not a newspaper reader currently. You know, back okay. Ago, like yeah. 10, 20, 30 years ago, right? Always. Yeah. But I don't read newspapers now. However, if I do read a newspaper, it's the Herald. Uh-huh. I feel that, now again, I don't read every article, right? I, I mean, right. I'm, I'm reading Howie Carr pretty much, right? And maybe, yeah. maybe news story. Um, but I've always felt at this point in time that the Herald is more right-leaning. right leaning and to me, the globe is more left-leaning.
2: But yeah, no doubt about that. Yeah.
0: I looked at the globe in literally, I don't know, 15 years. So I could be totally wrong at this point in time. Yeah. that was my impression.
2: Well, I mean, the globe, the Globe. Yeah, there's obviously a distinction between, you know, we call it uh, inside, we kind of call it uh, church and state, which is opinion and, and news. <laughs> and uh, But also, you know, the more traditionally called news and views i work for the opinion section i mean a lot of a lot of uh we we cover the news and break a lot of stories in fact a lot of stories that Howie comments on because they they will reinforce his point of view on on different things about government excess or scandals or this and that and the, and the other um but uh we you know there's no doubt that that the uh the globe uh our our views our our opinion uh pages lean left although i will say You know we endorsed bill weld we endorsed charlie baker twice for governor we we certainly have been very open to the embrace of uh of a certain kind of of uh moderate uh republicanism uh particularly on the state level and we would not we would not be uh you know in favor of uh of national uh republicanism just just because it's antithetical to a lot of things that the the page believes in like uh um gay rights choice um frankly this this day and age a little bit uh fiscal discipline uh don't we don't believe say that tax cuts pay for themselves which is a kind of a totemistic but false belief i think on the right but but you know it's a it's a so there is a i would say there's a, a quite a significant distinction between our views on you know we were uh strongly in charlie's camp but not in not in the jim lyons camp where for which was sort of the the local trumpism um Part of uh, of Massachusetts Republicanism, so I don't know if that allays your concerns at all. But but
0: uh. <laughs> do whatever you want. But yeah, I, yeah, and I think that, and I, and whenever I talk to someone from Massachusetts um, on this podcast, they always say the same thing. Like, but we love Charlie Baker, you know, or Bill wells and I'm like, that's great, and I'm sure they're wonderful people, but like, I don't think I would really consider them right a strong Republican, as you just said. Like, you know, they're really a super moderate right? Like Charlie Baker would never get elected in New Hampshire,
2: right? They just like wouldn't happen. Well, Kristanunu like, isn't really that much different from Charlie Baker. I mean, he's he's a little fuzzier on some things, but yeah, he's, I mean, we would, we certainly, I think Kristanunu would have been a good presidential candidate personally, and he's a kind of, you know, but there's a there's a huge difference between people who have to govern and make the tough day-to-day decisions and the practicality that imposes on them and people who are advocates and ideologues, and you see that on both the left and the right. I mean, I, do. we have members in our de- delegation who, who are so far left that they they would never be, to my mind, practical as a president or 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 governor. Uh, but but so does the right. I mean, a lot of the stuff that the some of these guys talk about is just uh, essentially a practical impossibility. I would say. But anyway.
1: Well just for the record I read both the Globe and the Herald though I probably read more of the Globe than I read the Herald I read Howie Carr I read Joe Battenfeld I occasionally read Peter Lucas he's just gotten so far to the right that I can't always.
2: Well Peter is great though he's 89 years old and he's writing three columns a week can oh, I say and and great. I you know and, and, and Joe Batz is a great guy does a yep. does a very does a very good job yep. I mean howie I, I have this problem with Howie just think if we at the Globe had sucked up to a murderer to write a to write a biography about him and taken all kinds of money for it. Think of what people would have said. And yet, you know, Howie sort of gets a pass on it. He he writes that uh, you know, Monroe's a pretty good guy or something like that. And it, all, his people never seem to to um process that contradiction. That, that here's a guy, I mean they they all say, well, you at the globe, you're, you know, you're you're advocates, you you're not journalists. Howie goes up on stage and has Donald Trump, you know, appears at it appears at his rallies and endorsed the whole. I think everyone is kind of coming around to admit that it's utter nonsense, stolen election crap. I mean, that that's not. I mean, you can you can say okay, that's just Howie being a a conservative, but it really it it's Trump swabbery in my mind. It's not. I mean, a real a real journalist would say, look, that's just ridiculous. I supported this guy, but all the stolen nonsense, uh, the stolen election stuff is just ridiculous. Time to let it go. But he doesn't say that. He just kind of he plays to that audience because it's his talk radio audience.
1: Well, I may get in trouble for saying this, but my view of Howie Carr is that when he is good, he is very, very good. And he is occasionally very, very good. But when he is bad, he is horrid.
2: Yeah, well, he's a, but Howie's a very smart guy. And, oh, yeah. And he's very capable. Yeah. And back in the day, he used to write for Boston Magazine, long-form political pieces, and they were brilliant. They were funny. They were great. But he, I, I feel like he, you know, he's always kind of gone for people, for one reason or another, like Dapper O'Neill or Donald Trump, who, um, yeah, if he had more intellectual integrity, I think he, I think he wouldn't do that. But even as he criticizes other people for this, that, and the other, he he is able to rationalize his own his own, I would say, sucking up to people who clearly aren't you know aren't much for, for public figures. But I got to say, Peter Lucas, I I like Peter's column because I mean he is he's kind of about the whole Trump thing, but but he's. He He's a voice from the 50s and 60s and 70s. And, and some of the history he does is really quite interesting. Yes. I consider Peter quite a good friend. I mean, we, you know, not social friend, but see him at the state house. and, okay. and Oh, and yeah. I see Peter. I'll always have a conversation with yeah, him. It's
1: yeah, always a just good conversation. I, yeah.
2: But the problem with a lot of these people is they got into defending Trump. And when you get into defending Trump, you just get sucked further and further and further along. And it gets harder and harder to say, Hey, you know what? I was wrong. I was wrong about this guy. This guy is a disaster. Now credit some people, Bill Barr. Bill Barr said it this weekend again. He did. I admire that. I that he said it on Fox. Yes, said it on Fox. That's intellectual integrity. We're realizing that and making the differentiation between the, the sort of nonsense that that circulates in the MAGA world and the kind of thing that Jim Jordan says, and what's true legally and from a, from a jurispr- jurisprudential point of view.
1: Well, this is going to be a really interesting discussion because obviously this podcast is called Politics and Crime with Pam Mar. The biggest political and criminal story right now is the Trump indictment. Pam and I have actually not discussed the Trump indictment yet. So uh-huh. I don't even know. I don't even know what she thinks. But Scott, let's start with you since you're the guest. What do you think?
2: Well, I, I think... I will say for the, the first thing you hear a lot is, uh, and I've heard this, I, I correspond, I should say, Pam, with with quite a few Trump people go back and forth with him regularly on email and in a spirited, sometimes mildly insulting, but basically <laughs> collegial way. Um, and one of the things I hear from lots of them is how come he got indicted when Hillary didn't? And uh, I mean, the differences there are clear that Hillary, Hillary had, depending on whom you believe, just a... A few phrases of of from from documents that had been classified at one point. Well, many, of them, many of them after she had done it. Um, she made no attempt to conceal or to you know cover that cover that up. Trump was notified as, as Bill Barr said. If he just given these documents back, he would not have the problem here. But here he is. He's taken to his golf club in. Bedford or wherever, New Jersey. A, a DOD plan, Department of Defense plan, involving um, our plans if we were to attack Iran, and he's got the biographers for uh, Mark Meadows, why anyone will write that biography, I'll never know, but he's got them in the room, and he's sitting there saying, look at this, this is, this is the, uh, essentially, this is the attack plan for Iran, that's top secret, he's riffling through it, and, and saying, it, you know, admitting it's not classified, he and if you, if you read the indictment most of the stuff he's indicted for it's not run of the mill classified stuff it's it's DOD stuff um and further it's uh it's his blatant and willful attempt uh to hide disguise what he what he's done to to move documents around not to, not to give them back and you remember the comey when when uh, uh jim comey talked about why he wasn't going after hillary he said well there was no intent here there was not yeah, this it's, was it's not...
1: willful retention as i understand yes. it is the yeah. issue willful yeah, will, retention will, and will, that, retention. that if he had just returned the documents he might not have been indicted
2: so I, I i think this case i mean this is a case where in my mind donald trump doesn't think and has never thought that the rules that apply to other people apply to himself and there uh, I, I think there are two parts to the rule of law one is if this is something the average person would get in trouble for, a president should not be immune from, from getting in trouble for. But if a president, a countrywide should not be prosecuted for something then an average citizen wouldn't be prosecuted for. Now, that's, a hard, that's a hard test to apply because an average citizen obviously would not have Defense Department documents. Um, and would not be able to transport them around, and it'll you know, leave them in the ballroom, the bathroom, the <laughs> shower, all the different places he seemed to have been left. Um, but I do think we could say, you know, just from looking at the different servicemen who have, who have done this kind of thing before, uh, that that they would that they would be in trouble for it. And I think it's just I think personally think it's a a very strong indictment in that
0: he's going to have trouble uh, in in court with it. Pam. Yeah, I mean, I, number one, have not read the indictment. Number two, I actually haven't watched a lot of news in the past week. And just like, just to give you a little insight, Scott, so I, I work full time, obviously, like most of us. I don't live and breathe politics. I'm not a policy wonk. You know, I don't read, like I said, I don't read newspapers every day. Um, I consume some media. I have a very, very sick husband at home. So I have a lot okay. going on. So I haven't read the indictment. I have no idea what's gonna happen. I like Donald Trump. I don't agree with everything, but I like a lot of stuff he says, not everything. I think sometimes it gets a little crazy. I wish a lot of times he would just like zip it, you know? Um, But I liked him when he was president. I thought he did a good job. I voted for him, voted for him a second time. Do not plan on voting for him this time. Um, Not quite sure who I'm gonna land on yet, but I think just in general, Republicans feel that we're always the ones who are sort of like being persecuted. Everyone's always coming after us or our side. And I think that is where a lot of the bad feelings occur, right? Like that's you know, Mar and I always talk about like this is a place where your adversary can still be your friend, right? Like we we wanna say like we totally disagree on things, but we're still friends, and that's okay. You can believe what you want, and I can believe what I want. I think that like, it's when people start getting like hurt, like, oh my gosh, that hurts me. I, you know, that doesn't make me feel good. I don't like it when someone says that. And I think Republicans in general feel that, you know, Donald Trump is being persecuted for whatever reason. I mean, I have like no idea what anyone is thinking at the Department of Justice, obviously. Um, you know, I don't know why people on the left like hate him so much. Um, I don't totally get it. But, you know, I, I just feel like he's just being targeted. Right. And what upsets me is I feel like in the future, this sets a really bad precedent. So right, if, if they prosecute Trump, which they're doing, you know, what stops in the future? What if a Republican gets elected next? And what if they prosecute Biden? Right. And then what if that person, you know, like what if we just keep switching administrations and that administration just keeps prosecuting the administration before? Like I just think I just it doesn't make me feel good. I just don't like it. I don't like seeing that happen. But
2: I I would make this point about I I hear a lot. I I realize it's a very prevalent belief among Trump people that he is he has been uniquely targeted by the FBI and by Department of Justice. But I I would point out this. Um, My my belief is that the reason Hillary Clinton lost the election in 2016 is that James Comey reopened publicly the investigation into her emails in the closing days of the campaign because they had turned up on Anthony uh, Wiener's um, uh, computer, or one you know, by you remember that whole thing, so that that was uh, and that immediately became huge in public. And Hillary was up by about five points nationally, which is probably enough at that point, too. Where I always think of it as a river with stepping stones, you can sort of step your way through the electoral college and win if the river's at a certain level. But if you're ahead by more than five points, the stepping stones disappear. And I don't think Trump would have found a, a path to victory, I think that knocked her down. Uh, sufficiently. So I I think in a way, Trump won the election. I'm not saying James Comey was in favor of Trump, because I don't believe that's true, but he wasn't targeting Trump. And and we know that for this reason. Uh, The FBI at that time had opened um, its investigation into the Trump campaign and whether there were Trump campaign ties to Russia. If the FBI had been out to get Trump, the FBI could have leaked that news to national newspapers, and that would have been enough, I think, probably to end the Trump campaign. They didn't, but they did. They they kept that secret, and yet they let it be known that they had reopened the investigation into Hillary. Not that I think they were targeting Hillary either, but uh, the the fact that, that information did not become public about Trump means that all that was public was the investigation into Hillary, and I do think that Probably there's a very good case to be made that that's what cost her the election. So I, I think that, to my mind, goes to disprove the notion that the FBI somehow uh, is was against Trump. But I I think I I, I feel like that the uh, an awful lot of this uh, with Trump supporters sort of pass and a myth sort of becomes fact for them because they hear it so much and it's so reinforced and they they watch it on Fox and they hear it repeated and, and that's why I think a lot of them Believe that the election was stolen, absolutely preposterous. And yet the, the, it's become almost a totemistic belief uh, uh, among Trump supporters. And it just, uh, you watch a retreat from it. It used to be, of course it was stolen. And now my Trump people go back and forth. Well, we'll never know if it was stolen, but I think it was. And then it's, well, there were, they certainly changed the way you could vote because of uh, because of COVID. And that had the same effect of stealing it. And the latest one is, um, if people had known that Hunter Biden's laptop was really Hunter Biden's laptop, then enough of them would have changed that 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 Trump would have won. So I think they're kind of retreating from the assertion, but but I do think it's it's um it's I mean look at uh, everywhere the, the the Republican election officials in Georgia and and in um. And in Arizona, we'll say no. This was a fair and legitimate. They did the cyber ninjas, the silly cyber ninjas uh, audit of Maricopa right. County. But that said, Biden actually won more votes than they had it win before. I mean, there've been check after check after check and recount, and it always comes out Biden. There isn't really a credible allegation of result. Bill Barr says it. Trump's own people, at DOJ, said it. No, this election wasn't stolen. His cybersecurity chief said it. No, this election wasn't stolen.
1: But I I do think that what Pam is talking about in terms of how Republicans feel that Trump is being treated is an important point. And I want to offer the counterpoint that Democrats think that the media has been far too easy on Trump. We don't think he's being treated badly at all. We think that a lot of the mainstream media fell all over themselves to cover Trump in 2016 because they wanted ratings and that those old habits are hard to break as we just saw on the cnn town hall
2: oh my god in cnn i mean i fault still i think he's a good newsman but jake tapper and wolf put yeah. trump on they put him on anytime they could get him on he got millions of dollars of free publicity just because he was kind of a showman and he is kind of funny he's got a certain rogue rogue charisma about him and but he got all kinds of of uh, uh, free airtime on on networks like that, and I would say this, Pam. When, when I when I think about you know, people talk about, hey, look, it's you know, two thousand and sixteen. It was legitimate, I, I I think, to vote for vote for Trump if you were you know discontent with the the state of situation. I to my mind. I don't think his his term was much of a success, uh, but I realize other people do. And I suppose you could have voted for him again, although I think he'd given characterologically. He'd kind of shown his cards. But it, it, what we saw, to my mind, on January 6th and, and with the scheming, we, we saw someone who showed that he doesn't hold either the Constitution or the um, uh, American democracy in much regard because he's well, that's what,
0: that's what to Mike overturn Pence is the saying. election. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And I, I, so I say to all my Trump friends now, okay, guys, I understand 2016. I mean, 2020, if you really felt that way, but how do you support a guy again who would have, had he been allowed to trample on the constitution, would have done but that, so. But Scott, and where, but,
1: but Scott, that's where Pam is right now. She's just said she won't vote for him I know, again. know, no,
2: no, no. So I know Pam, that. I,
1: so Pam, I that yeah. Why won't you vote for him again?
0: Um, because it's it's a circus. Right. And, and I care about actual issues. Like I care yeah. about me and, and my family yeah. and prosecutions all over the place do not help me and my family. Right. Like I, I don't, I don't, I, this isn't a revenge tour and I, I feel like he's on a revenge tour. Like this is, I'm going to get my revenge. Right. And, and I'm like, listen, I, I care about my pocketbook. Right. I care about my taxes. I, I care about, you know, the economy. I care about crime. Um, I don't really care about you being prosecuted. You've got 8 million lawyers. You're (laughs) worth money. Take care of that over there to the side, right? Like, I want to talk with a Republican candidate that is concerned about the actual issues that are facing actual real people like me, right? Like, that's what I care about. So, yes, I voted for Trump. Thank you for your service. I appreciate it. I think you're a very nice man. I think you did a good job. But it's time to go.
1: It's time to go. Goodbye.
2: From your lips to his ears. Um,
1: Yeah. Yeah. And Scott, you were, you were mentioning, um, you know, Trump having, being sort of an entertainer. I actually think at this point that the most entertaining, and I don't mean that in a pejorative way, the most entertaining Republican right now is Chris Christie.
2: Oh yeah. Yeah. No, Chris Chris Christie. And and Chris Christie is, uh, I mean, Trump, he, he got in the race to be sort of a lesser Trump. And then Trump got in and, and was a was a greater Trump. Uh and there was no room for Chris Christie. But Chris Christie is he's he's not always the most pleasant person in the world, but he's he's very smart. Yep. He's a good arguer. Yeah. He uh he decimated uh Marco Rubio in the debates and he is yep. in and frankly Telling the truth, saying no, this election wasn't stolen. This guy is a disaster, and that it'll be a disaster for the... Let's like just say what Chris Lanuna was saying is saying what I think a lot of Republicans think. What don't feel like they can they can say publicly because they don't want to get crosswise with a uh, with MAGA. But I I think that Chris Christie having him out there making that case and he makes it quite powerfully. He's going he does sharp guy. That that is going to be a, that's going to be a problem for Trump. Now I don't think. I don't think the hardcore bag of people uh, will be affected, but I think there's kind of some loosely affiliated you know, people who are going to listen over time and watch all this stuff. It's interesting for this reason, because if, I mean, it's interesting for a number of reasons, but it, particularly for this one, um, Biden's best best path to reelection, I believe, yeah. is a radioactive Trump. If Trump gets the nomination, I mean, a lot of people say, ah, I don't like Biden, I don't like Trump. Um, But if I have to choose between the two of them, I will choose Biden again. Um, Obviously, far from ideal, having a guy who will be 82 running for president. Uh, But you look at that and you say, okay, what if this stuff hurts Trump enough that he is not the nominee and it's Nikki Haley? Or it's uh, Asa Hutchinson. (laughs)
1: For people who are just listening, you couldn't see when when Scott Lehigh said Nikki Haley, Pam mouthed this enormous, no. No,
2: But yeah. uh, it's not just an old old style Ronald Reagan Republican yeah. kind of optimi- yeah. optimistic, inclusive. I mean, not a gloom and doomer about America. Someone who who's a very decent guy. I I, I think. What if one of these other candidates, because of this, becomes a the nominee? Then all of a sudden, you have a very different matchup. So it it's kind of like if this stays at a at a a, a serious level, but a level, a level that doesn't disqualify Trump in the Republican primaries. In the minds of MAGA, and he's the nominee, probably helps Biden and the Democrats. If it becomes so serious that he can't be the nominee or he, he is not chosen to be the nominee and it's someone younger and and more reasonable and without his baggage, that, that could be very bad news for Biden. So it kind of cuts either way, I think, in terms of what the... Uh, what the political effect is. Now I'm not, and you watch these guys, you watch them come out and talk about it. No one will quite, or, or very few people, uh, the speaker, Speaker McCarthy came out and and and, and immediately jumped to Trump's side. Uh, but a lot of the rhetoric here is kind of holding place rhetoric. I'm looking for but, a safe space. And they're saying something like, I don't know why they went after him when they didn't go after Hillary or Hunter. But They're not really saying it's wrong to go after Trump. They're sort of saying, Okay, here's my here's my way of criticizing them without actually saying that. Well, and also to
1: to Pam's point, that plays in to this all being about Trump and not about other issues. I'm really interested in the stuff that Mike Pence has said. Also, folks, we're, Pam and I are thrilled Mike Pence is going to come on our podcast. So we're Is he crazy. really? Oh, yeah. Well,
2: that's a good get for you guys. Wow. It's a,
1: it's a wow. wonderful get. So he won't yeah. be our first presidential candidate, by the yeah. way, and he won't Who's be our last
2: presidential. Who'd we you? had
1: Mike Rep, uh, former U.S. Rep Mike Rogers.
2: Oh, OK. Well,
1: potential. He's a potential. He's, he's yeah. a potential candidate. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. But we're really looking forward to having Mike Pence. And he has said. You know he's been very pointed on January sixth He said Trump's reckless words endangered my family and everyone at the capitol, and he said that anyone who puts the Constitution over themselves should never be president again i mean that's this is that was that's his vice president. Have president. we yeah. ever seen a vice President say that about the person with yeah. whom they served
2: uh- well i mean not not since the no I would say never and, and certainly not since the days when people ran as a ticket in the old days when uh you know when when uh Aaron Burr wanted to be you know way back in the in the in the electoral early early electoral college days in the first few elections you you had people scheme about one another but but uh I would say not not since the the era of of joined and chosen tickets have you have you seen that kind of, although grant obviously well, he wasn't vice president. Now, I better, I better shut up. I'm getting into areas of history that I'm largely ignorant about. So, I don't. I, was, I think you're right. It hasn't
0: happened. I, Scott, I was going to say I met um, for the very first time Vice President Pence two weeks ago in New Hampshire at an extremely small event. Extremely uh-huh. small. And first of all, I, I said I was actually really surprised at how warm he was, and I've always had a good impression of Vice President Pence. It, it, it's I, I like him. It's, but I just thought he was. Like a little robotic, right? you just think. Oh God, you yeah,
2: yeah.
0: Someone like, oh, who's like the perfect politician, right? You would roll him out, and you'd be like, he looks like the perfect politician. Um, but he was so warm, uh, so inviting, so kind when I was talking to him individually. Um, it was actually I was really, really shocked by that. Um, and then he spoke with us. And then he took questions from us. Like I said, it was there was probably twelve of us in the room. It was very small. Um, but he did talk a lot about Trump, exactly kind of what Mara had just said. He did say like, you know, I admire him. I think he's a good person. Um, you know, but so I, and I wasn't sure actually what he was going to say at all. Like, I wasn't sure if this was going to be all negative Trump or all positive Trump, but it was sort of like a half and half, right? Like that, you know, he put my family in jeopardy. Yes. On January. Yeah. 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 Um, That's interesting.
2: Is that when you secured the commitment from him to, to be on your podcast?
1: Um, um Scott, I think you're just totally underestimating the power of this podcast. I have to I, I no,
2: I no, I just was gonna <laughs> say that's very entrepreneurial. That's hard to do. I, I, I admire that kind of when when someone gets you, you know, you got them in a room and you say and you get them. That's that's good. That's the way commitments are done. No, I don't underestimate the podcast at all. you you had Corey. You're on it. On. That's a that's a great get. That
0: was a, that
1: was a good one. Yeah. yeah. It was it was a good one. So we should talk about your wonderful Scott new novel. You have just written your first novel. It's called just Well, Easter my first Winter. published
2: novel. novel. Po- okay, your first around. published
1: novel. Yeah, I you, haven't finished it. I did start it. I want you to know I, I am genuinely loving it. It's a very enjoyable read and I don't mean that in a dismissive way, but you just you just want to keep going. I I love the characters. I love the way the characters are written. They're interesting people and well, I want to know I know, and I want to know more about that. And of course, the setting, the setting is incredible. So tell us a little bit about just east of nowhere.
2: Well, I want to tell you this about this first. Uh, so I was um, I was mentioned that my wife, Marcia Crumley, who did these wonderful paintings, yes. took me on this riverboat cruise. And when we came back, my mother, who is 89 now, and one of my sisters had stayed here at our house to look after our cats. So then they were that my mother normally lives with the other sisters. So I I'd gone to see her. And I said, so, um, you know, I didn't, I didn't realize that she had been, I didn't realize she had read the books. I hadn't given it to her, but I had a, a review copy hanging around here. And I said, so well, mom, do you, have you seen any good movies? Have you been on, on TV? Have you read any books? And she said, well, I read your novel. Uh-huh. I said, well, that's kind of a pregnant pause moment. You know, I said, well, what did you think? And she said, I thought it was full of violence and foul language,, oh. <laughs> which it really isn't, I mean, there is some violence and foul language in it, but but, but uh, so I think I'm gonna put that on my website, full of violence and foul language,
1: you know, Scott, I'm gonna put that when we post the podcast, and Scott Lehigh talks about his new violence film novel.
2: <laughs> no don't unless no don't Because that but so, um. I forgot what the subject is. So, yeah, yeah. so here it is. It's just east of nowhere, available, uh, done by Islandport Press, um, which is a a very reputable, I think, high-quality, small, but main, main publisher. Not self-published. Everyone always says, oh, yeah, published. No, no. Um, as, um, published by them, edited very well by them. I, I work with Ron Curry, Jr., who's a great novelist himself, who's their fictionist. Nice. Nice. Uh, and, you know, it's out there in the world trying to make its way. It sort of officially launches this month and then, you know, shipping from other places. I think it, it ships from Island Port now. It ships from. From uh, um, Amazon, I know people hate Amazon, but you got to deal with them. I don't hate them.
1: I want to um, buy it at my local bookstore.
2: You buy it at your local bookstore. I'm trying to get it in the Concord bookstore. I talked to the gentleman there. Oh, good. Um, and so it's uh, you know it's um made its way up to 830 <laughs> <a> second <laughs> on the small town and rural fiction. I'm hoping to boost it up a little high. We'll see what happens. Yeah. So it's a story, essentially a um a story of no spoiler alerts. Well,
1: no no, yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: it's a, it's a, it's a dark coming of age story. Essentially, coming of age stories is a, a story where people grow from, you know, into into adulthood uh, during the course of the novel. It's, it's tracking uh kids at the at where I went to high school in Eastport, Maine, which is way removed. It's as far east as as you can northeast as you can go in, in the continental United States. Wow. and it's a, uh, um it's very remote. I moved there from uh upstate Idaho from Coeur d'Alene, Idaho when I was uh, 12, I guess. My family I didn't move by myself. My family moved us there. Um it's a, a it's um 30 miles from the nearest traffic light. Wow. Uh, so it's a very isolated place. And uh it's an interesting little community uh, kind of an extraction i mean most people most kids who want to do it's one of those things like many rural places in maine if you want to have a kind of a professional career there's not much there for you really now that may that may change with zoom and and, and work from a distance but most people a lot of kids leave they they'll go to i think about a third of my about a third of my high school class maybe went to college, maybe a little less, and uh, two-year or four-year or tech school or something. And a lot of those people would leave, and it, it's hard to come back then because it's not if, unless you're a teacher or work in the post office, you know, maybe one or two lawyers in town, uh, a few bank people, but most of the population is... Uh, you know, it, it's 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 older, it's fishing, it's, you know, different kinds of fishing, clamming, wreathing. Um so it it's a it's a, a very rural, remote main community. And the story is about a kid who's trying to he's the uh son of a single mother who is uh lapsed in well who is who is a member of a religious community that's somewhere on the margin between what you would consider conventional or traditional and Sort of out there, um, you know, in that 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 vast and ill defined, ill defined, ill defined space between traditional and cult, and somewhere, somewhere in there, and he's he's searching to find something about his father, and he discovers something about him that that's uh, quite horrible that that uh, obsesses him and defines the way he thinks about himself, and and it's a story about his search for his identity and his interaction with with other kids in the community or young adults in the community. Who are um, have have some issues of their own, and and uh, you know it, it's gotten fairly good. I mean, Kirkus has. hasn't oh. been widely reviewed Kirkus, which is quite critical of books, uh, oh. it's where you p- p- publishers send their book for a review, and it, they you pay Kirkus not not per book, but you pay a fee, I think, to be a member of it. So I understand it, and then if the review comes back bad, you just don't publish it. Uh, so this <laughs> review came back, I like that system. Yeah, yeah, exactly. quite good. You know, not overwhelmingly positive, but I think it correctly identified a flaw or two in the book. But but I, I was very pleased with that. It's gotten some nice blurbs. Caroline Shute, who wrote The Beans of Egypt, Maine, oh, yeah. is mm-hmm. kind of the um, the uh, it's a seminal book in the in the in Maine realism, sort of telling stories where people as as they really are the nitty gritty rather than than uh, kind of idealizing them. Uh she gave it a, a very nice blurb. I was hard tracking her down. She's kind of off the grid in the in, in remote Maine, but she was really nice to too. And I've got uh, Richard North Patterson, who's a nice selling novelist, read it for me and really liked it. Um I you know, Heather McHugh, I don't know if you guys remember Heather no, I don't know her well she's a she's like a genius poet she's a guggenheim uh, she used she lived a little while in eastport she's down at the puget sound i think just retired from teaching poetry at the uh university uh washington university of washington so she's not but i have a little teeny bit of a, a shirt tail uh relationship with her uh from many years ago and she uh she read it and uh, uh, wrote me a um, what's meant to be a foreword, but it came in a little too late about her time in Eastport, which is just oh. a beautiful piece of writing, better mm. than the book, frankly. But I'm going to publish that on my website about it. Go so, ahead. you know, I'm very excited. I, I, I'm very nervous. I, you you write something like this and you don't know, how are people going to react? Are they going to say, oh, God? And they're, are they going to say, huh? Um, you know, it, there's a little bit of an admission that you come from an area that 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 you're not. I mean, I never... I never claimed to be a sophisticate but um you know you grew up in in for the most part in in a very rural kind of isolated area and, Scott
1: uh, I'm 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 sorry that well I would I would refer you to uh the podcast that we did with Ray Buckley who's the New Hampshire Democrats chair sure. he, yeah, yeah. And Pam is in Exeter New Hampshire spent most of your life in New Hampshire yeah wonderful conversation about the rural parts of new hampshire and what life is really like oh really for a lot of folks yeah dirt roads and ray buckley didn't have plumbing growing up and oh
2: is that right
1: yeah and that this this is not unusual
2: you know there
1: are more of us more of us out there i actually when i was i know my, my in new hampshire when i was a baby i know my mother washed clothes in the creek
2: really wow Wow. Well, this is this is yeah. I mean, this is kind of this is sort of nitty gritty about what it was. Uh, I remember when I when I I came to Boston. I'd worked for a little a while at uh, at a paper in Maine. I got a job at the Phoenix as a copy editor, and uh, I was editing along one day. And it, people of the Phoenix were kind of an alt, you know, alternative uh, um, left leaning newspaper, and they were quite a sophisticated crowd, having yes. come from a, Bunch of other places. And I remember looking up one day, editing a piece and saying to John Ferguson, who was just kind of my mentor and brilliant guy, saying, hey, what is a Cuisinart? And he oh. Looking at me, kind of laughing, and never letting me forget that, you know, kind of saying, "I remember so, you came from the Maine woods, and you asked me, What is a queen? But i have never heard of one before. i never. Hey, at it.
1: least you pronounce it correctly. Well, so I
2: took some time. That
1: okay. was a, So we have some lightning round questions we'd like to ask our guests. But can I tell?
2: Can I tell a story about about uh, Phillips uh, about Exeter first? Is for oh please. I, I was there, PM, with uh, Carrie was speaking there at at, uh, at the school in uh, ex, at, um Phillips, Exeter, in uh, 2004. And a guy got up and stayed. It was a lefty crowd. A guy got up and started asking questions. And he, he'd he say, And it seems to me that what we really should be doing is impeaching Vice President Cheney. And the crowd all would cheer and clap. And I think we should really go. And then uh, uh, as he goes on a little bit, he's got through three rounds of applause. He says, As Lyndon LaRouche calls for <laughs> they all realized they were cheering for LaRouche. And all this carry on. Um, <laughs> I still think about that. Time. I was
0: just going to tell you a story about how my dad and I went to see Joe Lieberman, whatever, probably around the same yeah. time at Phillips Exeter. And, you know, they're like, okay, we'll take, we loved it, but they're like, we'll take, you know, questions from the uh, people of the public. And then some guy stands up and he starts saying something and he's like, and Lyndon LaRouche. And everyone's like, <laughs> <laughs> kick him out. And like, the next woman up is like, but Lyndon LaRouche. And they were <laughs> It was like three people they had to kick out, and then because I remember saying, "Dad, who's Lyndon LaRouche? I have no idea who this person is."
2: <laughs> it's a, he would you know, I read quite a bit about him as as part of doing something. I can't remember quite what it was, but he had all these theories, and one was redefining the, you know, B flat or C, or I mean, he did a lot of things other than just thinking about kind of crazy world conspiracy things. He he had a lot of diverse intellectual interests, none of whom, none of which I I could. Uh, really talk about it anyway but i was interested to see he was kind of a musicologist in some way but Mm. anyway so lightning round questions lightning round
1: questions the first one is actually back to books what's a book that changed your life
2: changed my life um all the king's men by robert penn warren which i read when i was in high school uh such a great book i'm not a fan of a lot of his work but i love that book uh and the way he wrote about both of it just got me consumed with politics and the way he wrote about Ian Stan, stanton and the way jack Burden loves Ian stanton you fell in love with Ian stanton yourself as a reader of that book you just it was such a as as a romance as a uh i just love that book uh and another one i my favorite novel probably today is uh um Head Revisited by Eva. Oh. I, God, I love that book. I think it's just exactly. so, so well done and and so, you know, so, so smart. So, and again, I don't like a lot of, a lot of Woz stuff, but that was his one serious kind of non-spoof book. And I, I just really liked
1: it. It was exquisite. You know, yeah.
2: they were Those would be two. And I, I love, I, I also love Ian McEwen. I love Atonement. Although some of his early work, I mean, I, I say I was reading, um, why don't you, the Venice book, Ian McEwen, I, oh, and this yeah. is back, I was- Oh, I,
1: oh Bridge of Size? Is that is No, that I think or it's or called Comfort.
2: It might've been Comfort. I, I don't know, story. but it's a book set in Venice. It ends with this horrible, strange, you know, sexual death fantasy. And I, I had the most, vibe. I was riding along in the backseat of the car. Yeah. A couple of my friends were in the front. The window was open. The car didn't have air conditioning. We we're in the back roads in Maine. And I, and the whole thing resolves itself in the last, Page and a half or so. When I realized what was happening, I was so I threw the book out the window just in you know impulsively. It wasn't a conscious act. I said, and 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 so although some of his work I've hated, I I think Atonement is a great book. So there would be three, I guess. Okay.
0: okay. Second question. Second question. If you had to choose one politician, living or dead, to meet to have you know have a dinner with, who would it be?
2: Henry Clay. I'm a <laughs> I, I I I'm a big fan of Henry Clay in that. He kept the nation together during the utter craziness of the uh of the Andrew Jackson years and um was a a person who had the American agenda of uh um uh you know canals, railroads and the like. He was a a slave owner who knew slavery was wrong and and, and wanted at some point, like a lot of them did, at some point to do something about it actually you know this is not in any way a justification of slavery but was someone when when uh his slaves parents were ill he would let them go and you know go home to tend out on their parents he he seemed to be to me to be a remarkable person to a hugely self-educated internet not did not go to college, read for the law was elected Speaker of the House the first day he was in Washington and became a you know they kept the nation together in the run- up to the civil war i think he I think he'd be a fascinating person to sit down Doug. Hmm.
1: excellent, and last, what's your favorite vacation spot? You'd be I, amazed at how people answer this question very telling
2: vacation spot, wow, God, I don't know um.
1: You don't need
2: one. You're in Maine. You're in vacation uh, land. Yes, Uh, you know, I I don't. I I guess I really couldn't answer that in a a way that that uh, I would say. Concord,
1: Massachusetts.
2: Concord, Massachusetts. Well, that's where I stay at the uh, the Phillips Inn there with with I don't know. I I couldn't really give you. You know, I've had an awful lot of fun windsurfing in Bonaire. But uh, if it weren't for the windsurfing, you really wouldn't. You really wouldn't go. I'm too old to windsurf now. So
1: well, like I I said. The answers are very telling, and yours was too, Scott.
2: Yeah. Did I, did I can't really choose? You, uh, you, you,
1: you can't know. come up with a spot. I, is, and I uh, actually, I think it's because you're in Maine. I was kidding, but maybe so.
2: Really maybe because so. Because you're,
1: yeah. you, you are actually in vacation land the way yeah. life should be. So you don't need a vacation spot. It has been fantastic to have you on the show.
2: Well, thank you very much. I appreciate it. Can I put my book up one more time?
1: Please put your book put up one more time. It's called Just East of Nowhere by Scott Lehigh. Look for it online. Ask for it in your local bookstore.
2: Thank you very much.
1: Thanks so much, Scott. Great to have nice you. Nice to meet you, Pam. Have you on. Thank Bye-bye. you. Bye-bye. Now, it's time for us to go to it. You ready, Pam? Yes. Yeah, I, 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 first of all, I loved the way... You were so forthcoming about, you know, why you don't read the Globe. And I love the way that Scott Lehigh responded to you. I thought that was great. How did he respond? I don't remember what he said. What did he say? You know, he said that basically your assessment that the Herald is more right-leaning and the Globe is more left-leaning is a fair one. But he also pointed out that the Globe has certainly supported Republicans over the year, Charlie Baker, of course, being the most recent example. And, and there were a lot of people in Massachusetts who thought that the Globe was a much too supportive of Charlie Baker. So a lot of folks in Massachusetts don't think that the Globe is, is left-leaning enough. <laughs> yeah. And I think a lot of Republicans
0: don't think that Charlie Baker is an actual Republican.
1: That, I think that's, I think that's, prob- that's probably true. Awesome. Well, we back Charlie Baker. It's like, all right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Republican light. But sure. Whatever. Yeah. 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 But it's been it's been also really interesting to to hear his thoughts on, you know, the indictment and, and your thoughts and you sharing how Republicans see it. And um this, that's why we have this show. And I think it was and I could, t- you know, Scott Lehigh was really inter- was really listening to you. And really taking that in and and understanding what you were saying, which I think is which I think is great. One of the reasons I wanted to have him on the show. Yeah, definitely. I mean, definitely interesting character, right? Like smart
0: guy, you know, great career. I mean, it's yeah, really interesting. I mean, I'll probably every once in a while, you know, pick up the globe and see what he has to say about politics. But yeah, I mean, it's 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 interesting. Which is why we do the show. It's always interesting to see someone's opinion about like something you have an opinion about and have it be completely different
1: yes and but also like he's like us he's just expressing his opinion he doesn't care whether you agree with his opinion or not doesn't diss you because you have a different opinion this is this is what i think this is how i see it yeah yeah
0: exactly exactly yeah for sure i was like i didn't you know i was gonna jump in at some point in time and i think i forgot or I just missed my window of opportunity, but you know, people are always like, "Oh my God, MAGA Republicans! Like MAGA Republicans! Like the worst MAGA Republicans!" And I'm like, "Oh, I'm a MAGA Republican,
1: like am But you're not though, because you're not you're you're not voting for Trump again. So I don't think you're in. You're not in core MAGA. Seven years, you know, I've been on board. You know, like, oh yeah, you
0: count. But, but, but yeah, like I, I always. Like, I don't know what people, when people say like MAGA Republicans, what exactly does that mean? Does that mean that, do you think it's like people who have lost their minds and like... I think it means people who
1: are, it's Trump forever. They will just never, they will never find fault with him. They will always support him. That's what I think. I think it's like a really hard for Trump base
0: isn't that okay?
1: That's their choice, right? Yeah, like, that's absolutely, that's your choice. And I
0: I, I don't like the like, to be, like, it's so this, like, negative con- connotation that, you know, MAGA Republicans, like, again, it's their choice. If they want to, like, go hard for him, they can go hard for him. Like, it's great. Like, you love Joe Biden. You could be a Biden Democrat, like, right? That's the American way. I get to vote for the candidate
1: I think is best.
0: I mean, yeah, I just, like, do not like that negative connotation that people try to throw behind it when it's just like, whatever,
1: people do whatever. They- I, I just, well, that's one of the reasons we're having this podcast is that we, rec- both of us, we've talked about this. We're both deeply patriotic people. And we recognize that you're from a different political party and you have a different perspective. You are still our fellow Americans. We are still going to reach out to each other and understand each other and care about each other as fellow Americans. That's what we're supposed to do. So... Exactly. So glad we're doing this. So, <laughs> this is great. <laughs> no, it actually, it really is great. So we just before we go just yes, we did tell you we are going to have former Vice President Mike Pence on the show. We're also going to have uh, former US Rep Mike Capuano on the show and current member of Congress Seth Moulton on the show and other really wonderful guests. Great discussions coming up. We thank you so much. For tuning in please subscribe we're on all podcast platforms we're on itunes we're on spotify we're on iHeartRadio. wherever you find podcasts that's where you can find going to Despair so please subscribe give us a five-star review and follow us on social media just at going to spare it on twitter facebook and instagram and email us and let us know what you think at pam at gmail.com thank you so much for joining us folks Thank you. Remember, we are your
0: place for stress-free politics, hot takes on crime, and a place where your political adversary may become your best friend. Don't forget.
1: See you next time, everyone. Bye. Thank you. Bye.
0: Hey, Mara. You know that people are constantly complimenting me on my beautiful hair color, and my youthful looking skin. I tell them that not only do I work with a really talented master hair colorist and a super experienced aesthetician, I use Monate hair care, skin care and wellness products. Monate products are naturally based, reliant upon natural sources for their key ingredients, unique formulas and proven benefits. Monate considers it their duty to protect their source, which is the beautiful world in which we live. I love these products so much that I decided to sell them so that others can enjoy their amazing benefits. Check out my store at PamelaRogersESQ.MyMonate.com. That's P-A-M-E-L-A-R-O-G-E-R-S-E-S-Q.M-Y-M-O-N-A-T.com. The Monate movement encompasses not only innovative hair care, skin care, and wellness products, but a genuine dedication to helping others build beautiful lives. Each month I am going to be giving away an amazing Monate product. So go to our website, which is goingdosparit.com, join our mailing list, and a lucky monthly winner will be selected. Again, you can check out my Monate store at Pamela Rogers, See you guys soon.